In this episode, we decided to do a gear review. Matt has a very, very interesting take on the World Series. And then we go on and we talk about Masterclass.、Um, it's a topic that we've been discussing on the Flickr thing for quite a while. And then you win where we, we fight again. This is Big Liz, Fast Shutter, and enjoy the show. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! And ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building. Konnichiwa, this is Yuvoko. Shalom, this is Matt Cohen. Welcome to Big Lens Fast Shutter, where we demystify the world of sports photography. And if you have forgotten and you haven't, it is never too late to send a couple of bucks our way, since this is a 100% user funded audiovisual entertainment. Please click on the PayPal donations link on our website to show us how much you love us, because we are here to make you a better sports photographer. Now, news. News. Here at News, both Ryu and I will tell you our best and worst shoot of the previous month, and we talk about ourselves because we like to. That means it's like September, half of September, half of October.、Um, you want to go? Yes, because it's pretty easy. Best shoots were all of the football games that I shot, and the worst shoots were all of the baseball games that I shot. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. That, no, it's not because it's the、no. professional one or the college one? The university one. <laughs> I don't know. There is this thing with playoff baseball. Oh, sorry. Postseason baseball. Wait, aren't you going to go to the World Series? So much by the fancier. Way? Yes, I am. Oh, see, that's cool, though, right? No. Well, here's the problem. Oh, assigned seating. Okay, okay. So I think you have to kind of clarify like, what assigned seating means. Like, where do you get to, like, you can't move from that seat when you're shooting no, the baseball game? Not、games? at all. Not like, at you're, all. you're done. You can't you can swap seats with people? No. Other photographers? No. Oh, that sucks, huh? Yeah. So. <laughs> that really sucks. The, we have two seats. One is up in a television basket on the third level. Basically. In a basket hanging over the crowd off the edge,、uh, which is not all that much fun.、Okay. And the, the other one is downstairs.、Um, it's, it's downstairs. It's either for the first round, it was outside of third base. For the second round, it was outside of first base.、Mm. So the fun part is that you're shooting between a couple of、uh, support poles, and then on the field, you have the umpire and the base coach. Oh、who just walk around wherever they want to. So,、oh、really,、God. it's like shooting through a window for nine innings. Oh, that's really bad, huh? Yeah, there were times when the third base coach was completely between either where I was shooting from in the pitcher or where I was shooting from in the batter. There were times when the umpire was right between me and the shortstop or the third baseman making a play. <laughs> It, the first night that I shot, I'd made less than 100 pictures. Not, I kept less than 100. I actually hit the shutter button less than 100 times in a baseball game. Which,、oh, no. you know, if you've ever shot baseball, you know that's not very many. Yeah, a lot of it's, it's not as great as it sounds. It's, you know, yeah, it's nice to shoot the playoffs and the games mean more, and you get celebration pictures and dejection, and people are tense and whatever, but it's also, there's a reason why the AP sends six guys there because they want. A lot of different angles because 
a bunch of people are going to get blocked and you really need those pictures. But I can't be six guys. And so when I get blocked, maybe the guy up top has it or maybe somebody else has it. But it's not fun for me because I'm there to make pictures. I'm not there to you know be part of a team. Which basically sucks, huh? That's, yeah. You can't, well. Well, there you have it, huh? For those who were thinking about, like, wow, like, it would be great to shoot World Series. It doesn't sound like it's a lot of fun because it's not probably just a lot of frustrating, you know, moments and things like that, getting blocked. And that's, yeah, never a really good thing, especially if you can't move. And that's really, when it gets, like, um, high-profile games, they do assign seating and, you know, same thing World Cup as well. I mean, they have assigned seatings. But at least we get to move if we can swap with like other photographers, you know? It's not good enough for baseball. No. For me, I didn't really have those very non like nondescript type of months of September, like last half of September and then the first half of October. I hope well, I'm gonna take some do some matches. By the time this this comes out, I would have actually done some Champions League matches, but that's about it. I missed out on um figure skating because the guy who was supposed to be this Japanese guy who won the gold medal in last uh, year's Olympics, last year, yeah, yeah, he, um, I don't know, this year's Olympics, actually, he uh, pulled out the whole competition, so I decided not to go and shoot the, uh, the entire competition that was in Finland, kind of checking along, it's October, almost Christmas, so I will take it easy until the end of the year, well, that's really lame on my part, I'm really sorry, and that was news, and then we are going to have a special section today, which is this, uh, for, for this episode, because Matt wants to talk about Think Tank's new camera strap, and I want to talk about Think Tank's new bag. We'll catch up with you in the uh, next section. We are going to talk about gear review, which we rarely, rarely do. But um, yeah, we're both fan of uh, Think Tank products. We've used quite a lot of them uh, between us. I have bought something recently, and so has Matt Cohen. So Matt is very eager to talk about this. So let's go to Matt Cohen. Yeah, so I got a new body recently, needed to get a new strap for it, and just decided that I was going to get the same strap for all of them. And I've been looking at these Think Tank camera strap B2s for a while, and a couple times I went to buy them and they were out of stock and didn't have them at the stores that I was at, but ended up catching them in stock. And so I got three of them and put them on and went out to a football game. And I'm really impressed with these straps. They're they're very narrow compared to the straps that you would get on a pro level body, but they're really sturdy and they have this kind of gel-like surface on both sides of them. And it's like a non-slip thing. It really works. Like you can be running up and down the sideline and this thing is not coming off of your shoulder at all. And because it's so thin, it's really comfortable, doesn't really get in the way. The best part about these is that it doesn't matter what side you're using because both sides are exactly the same. And I've had decent camera straps before, but if they, if you put your camera over your shoulder the wrong way, it was going to slip off because whatever was keeping it on your shoulder on the one side, it's slippery on the other side, and then you're screwed. These are nice because they have exactly the same non-slip surface on both sides of it so you don't really even have to think about it when you're putting it over your shoulder it's not going to come off either way i am an instant convert to these i'll never have another strap these are great and i definitely recommend you get in them it's the think tank camera strap v2 oh by the way we we've bought these things huh? 
It's not like they gave it to us. And yeah, this is not product that. placement. It's not graft. We actually spent our own money on it. I bought uh, the International Airport Roller Derby. That is so wrong because it's not called that one. It's called Think Tank Airport Roller Derby. There's no international in front of it because my previous bag was the International uh, Airport International. And it lasted me three years and it went, well, basically everywhere, you know. And I still have it. The cats like to sit on it now and they really love, I don't know, just sitting on it. All the Think Tank uh, Airport series, well, I don't really know all of them, but at least for Airport International, is that the wheels are replaceable by you or they will send you a new set for free. And that's been very, very good because I travel a lot. And it's not like I travel, meaning like I go from my house, taxi, airport, taxi, hotel, taxi, stadium. Like I take public transportation, I walk a lot. It goes through, like my, my bag goes through a lot of, you know, from elements to crappy streets to everything. It kept my uh, my gear safe. And that's what you want. Like the bag is really battered at this point because I really use it for three years. Um, a lot of things is broken, but the wheels are not broken. The uh, the zippers are not broken, which is a really, really big deal because you don't want your big, if the zipper is broken, everything is just falling off all over the place. The handle's not broken, which is obviously a very good thing as well. And it, it really, I mean, like I keep on saying that the gear has been safe and that's the most important thing. And not a lot of bag companies can say that. So I decided to like give it a bit of a ch do a bit of a change and thought, okay, I want to try this uh, roller airport roller derby. And the airport roller derby has got four wheels instead of two now. And four wheels, if you've never tried four wheels, it's a revelation. It is so comfortable to use. Second of all, you don't like you don't have to pull the bag anymore. You push it this time. If you're in a semi-smooth surface, it's so easy to travel with the back. It's really, 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 really comfortable. Also, this one can be replaced. Uh, the wheels can be replaced by Think Tank. So if it, you know, something goes wrong or if the, you know, the wheels break, I just email the guys from Think Tank and say, hey, would you be able to send me a, a new set of wheels? And they will send them for free. So that's very, 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 very good. And I mean, I think 80% of, of my... I don't know, the great thing about this whole bag is about the um, the wheels. And it's really just fantastic. Everything else is pretty much the same as Airport International. There are a couple of things that I really don't like. Um, one is that the back is now reinforced with leather instead of plastic. If you, you know, travel anywhere in the city and if you have to, you do need, you will get bumps, um, especially if you're going from like a, a from from a road to a sidewalk, you have to kind of get your back up and you kind of drag it across the uh, the back. And it was quite, you know, I thought it was okay because, you know, last time it was airport international, it was plastic, and I didn't really think about it twice. And this time it's leather, and which is I don't really, you know, not too really crazy about that one. And also taking it in and out of the um, uh, the overhead bin in the airplane, it doesn't slide anymore. It gets stuck because it's leather, and that's really not a fun thing. I mean, if they're gonna make a version two out of it, I really beg them to make it out of uh, plastic because then it'll be a lot easier to take. Uh, in all, you know, all sorts of places. The second is the flap. Um, the flap is very, very good as it is for inter Airport International. But uh, now they've um, made this compartment for a laptop and a um, pad. It's taken away space to put any accessories in. In the Airport International, we had a lot of space to put in. You know, we had a lot of space to put the accessories, but now we don't have it with the Airport Roller Derby. I wish there was another, there's one flap to open the main compartment. I wish there was another flap to open another compartment, a smaller one on top of that, so we can put in, you know, more accessories. Uh, it would have been a lot easier and also take away 
the uh, compartment for the um, the iPad and things like that. That I'm just really I don't understand why they did that one. Cause I I don't know like that many people like take iPads and top like to their work. Like I don't I don't know if you do. Other things that were very very good the harness the the security harness not security harness like the the wire that's uh, that secures to an immovable object so you do, your gear doesn't get stolen. It used to be on the back of the Airport International, but now it's on the side. When it was at the back, uh, the part, that portion would get rubbed up against lots, all sorts of different things. And by the end, that it just broke the whole thing because it was just rubbed up against so many times throughout the three years. The zippers and everything else just kind of you know fell apart. But now it's on the side and it doesn't get rubbed at all. And it's really, really, really good. The handle's better than the one in the one with Airport International. It's a bit less wobblier. I think that's really it. Honestly, I mean, I would buy, if you use Airport International, I would consider ditching that and just immediately going for the Roller Derby because it is a much better bag. The capacity is pretty much the same. I think you can actually fit more in. If you're not like uh, limited like we are here in Europe in, in terms of like how what the dimension of the bag you can carry on board, you can carry a lot more with the Airport International just because you don't have to. You don't have. You're not putting the um, the laptop inside the main compartment anymore. You're putting the uh, the top compartment. You have a lot more space inside the main compartment. Put more gear in, and it's really really good. Last but um, not least, it's really about the wheels, and it will be, you would be amazed how comfortable it is from now on for me to walk from point A to point B, just because the wheels are just absolutely absolutely fantastic. So that's my uh, review for the um, Think Tank Photo Airport Roller Derby. Yeah, I think the 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 replacement wheels make any other bag yeah. just i just wouldn't even consider deal. it the i've been through i'm on my fourth set of wheels on my airport security roller it gets beaten up but the bag itself looks like new it's the plastic guard like where you were talking about they moved to leather on that one mine still has the plastic on it and that's beaten to death but it's really thick plastic so it's not going anywhere but it's the wheels that take the punishment from going from pavement to dirt to rocky parking lots to jumping over curbs and things like that and they they could have used harder plastic on the wheels but then it would have been harder be to control horrible. it and really it would have been harder yeah it would have just it, they would have they would last longer but they would also be less comfortable when you were actually using it so the softer wheels that they use do tend to wear out but then you just send them an email and they send them to you in like two days or something like that and it takes two minutes to put them on, and it's almost like having a new bag. So that's. I think the case in point, like if you ever use like the there's a Pelican bag, um, which is about the same size as the Airport International, and a people a lot of people use them. They handle terribly if you want to. Like it's like you know riding a, like a bike or a car, or whatever. Like you, the handling actually doesn't matter quite a lot. And also the the wheels are so bad. Uh, like what Matt said, I think it's like made of really hard plastic. So it doesn't absorb shock at all. So if you're, that's it for our um, occasional gear review. I think we'll do more in the future if people ask us to do something, but I see for the time being. Cause I might do one for D4S at some point because I've just bought one too. I'll do that because I can't really seem to find a good review by a sports photographer again. In Masterclass, we pick a topic in sports photography and we serve it on a plate to your ears. You got something to say? Tell us that BigLensFastShutter.com. Was it like a week ago? Yeah. We had that about. topic? Yeah, so a week ago. Um, 
one of our listeners posted a topic on the Flickr group page. Mr. Slim Shodi said, this is five days ago, I am just starting out in the sports photography field. Recently, I contact a, contacted a sports picture agency about freelancing for them. They said they'd be willing to consider me provided I equip myself with the industry minimum standards off to 1DX bodies and 400mm f2.8 lens. I own a 70-200mm f2.8 and said I've used a 2 times uh, extender teleconverter with it in the past when I've needed the reach. They said that would not be a good idea, uh, that, would not, that wouldn't be good enough, and I'd really need the 402.8. I know I'd lose two stops of light with the extender, and the quality wouldn't even compare. Sorry for the rambling post, but can I ask those that own the lens, did you buy the 402.8 pretty much early in your sports photography career? I own a Canon 1DX and 70D. The sports agency shoot is mainly soccer. It was probably the biggest discussion we've probably ever had on this board. And we people really chimed in, you know. I got really uh, annoyed with uh, Matt Cohen not capitalizing his letters. But an interesting topic. Matt and I just talked about it off air before we started recording. And I think there are things that need to be said to kind of clarify things a bit more. I think more clarification is really needed on this particular topic. So... I'm going to pass it on to Matt Cohen because he needs, um, he wants to say something about this. Well, it also... In a very mild <laughs> fashion. It, it also tied in with questions that we had been getting from people in the group who are getting to the point where they're probably good enough that they could be taking these kind of assignments, but they're also limited by their gear. And so I wrote a post on the site, I'll link to it in the notes for the podcast, about the realities of things, like the economics of can you pay off a lens by being a sports photographer? Can, can you do it by being freelance? How much are you going to expect to be spending? How much are you going to expect to be making? So this question kind of tied in with all of that. Rhea and I, we were, what we were talking about before we started recording was these agencies who have a hard requirement on gear. And basically, Rhea was saying that they don't have that in Europe. I know for a fact that they do have it here. It's very standard. You need a pro level body, you need a 402.8. And he was saying that they don't have that over there. I'm thinking they probably do. It's probably just not published. So they look at your pictures and they say, well, he's shooting with a 70 to 200 or he's shooting with a teleconverter or something. This is not the low light performance that we want. This isn't the depth of field that we want. This isn't the reach on a soccer field or a football field that we want. So they just, without saying, you know, without printing it up in their rules, they filter those kind of people out. I think people's sense of fairness or something came into play and I think it ended up being, well, why is this only for rich people or something like that? And I would urge people to look at it from the other side. So you have a company whose business is selling pictures to clients. They are not, each company isn't getting unlimited credentials to matches. And if there's a big Champions League match, there might be a very good photographer who just doesn't happen to have a very long lens. We have people in our group who are very good photographers. We have people who have made amazing strides from where they started out to where they are now. But they're new or they're not professionals or they have a day job or something like that. And as such, they don't have a 400. The agencies in question aren't going to use their one or very maybe two credentials to send somebody like that to a big match. And the reason is that they need the best pictures possible from that. 
And if it's at night and you're at the edge of what your body can do, or if you are shooting with a 70 to 200 and like this guy was talking about using a teleconverter, your pictures are not going to be as technically good as the people who are shooting with 400 2.8 and pro bodies. That's just a fact. Your pictures, your vision may be better, your eye may be better, the pictures that you get might be more original, but for overall shooting a game under demanding conditions, harsh conditions, and conditions where there's somebody sitting there waiting to take the picture and nobody has any time to run noise reduction software on it or fix the picture, fix the things that are wrong with it technically, these people aren't going to take a chance. And the other thing that I was saying about it was that they have somebody at this agency whose job it is to contact the photographer, see if they're available, and match them up with the assignments they have. Those people are probably also involved in selling the pictures. The selling the pictures are the part that makes the agency money. The scheduling and communicating and things like that are not the part of the business that makes them money. So they're not going to want to keep in their head, oh, well, this photographer has to go here, and then we have to move this photographer to this game because he doesn't have, he needs to shoot a day game, and he needs to shoot something that's on a smaller field like tennis or something like that. They don't want to have to take all that into consideration. They want all of their shooters to be able to take advantage of all of the opportunities that they get credentials for. So having somebody who doesn't have the same gear as everybody else adds a layer of complexity that they don't want to have to deal with because... It's taking them away from the things that make them money. It's not fun. It's not, I know people don't like to hear this, but there's really no arguing your way out of this. You either have the gear that people are looking for, and if they're hiring you, you know, it's their rules. It sucks. You can get great pictures with gear that's not a 400, 2.8, and a pro body. Everybody's done it. But if you want to shoot for them, that's... And, that, and those are their rules. That's what you're going to have to do. And there's really no substitute. If you're shooting something that's far away for a, a wide aperture prime lens, these, you know, these schemes of using third-party zooms and teleconverters or whatever, you know, it's a nice tool to be able to have if you're not shooting for anybody and it's your kid's high school football game or little league game or something like that. It's fine. You can do that all day, all season. But professionals use professional gear. It's just people want to argue about this, but when Ryu and I go to shoot games, people are using pro bodies and 400s. It's just how it is. And believe me, these people wouldn't all be buying eight, nine, ten, eleven thousand dollar lenses if they didn't have to. If they could get away with just having a 70 to 200 that they use for portrait shoots and sticking a 2x teleconverter on it, they would do it because you just keep the rest of that money. The difference between a 70 to 200 at $2,000 and a 400 at $10,000, you don't think that people would put that money in their pocket every day? They absolutely would. They spend the money because they have to to do their jobs. That's it. And there's really no way around it. I think the main thing, just to like kind of get start adding stuff onto what Matt said, is that, for instance, the 400 2.8 or 300 2.8, I, I talked about 300 2.8 and... We'll get back to that one later on. But at least for the 402.8, the autofocus speed is much, 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 much faster than any of the zoom lenses that are out there. So it includes the 7200 um, from Nikon or Canon or what, for Sigma for whatever. And also from, I think, like 12300, 200, 400 that even Nikon or Canon produces. They, I mean, that's, that's probably the only zoom big lens that I've seen other than Nikon or Canon's 400 uh, 2.8, is, the, is their own 200 to 400 lenses. And even that, 
I've, I've said about this before, I've even actually wrote um, a review on it for on BigLensSizeShutter.com. I find it that the autofocus is not accurate and it's, not, it's nowhere near as fast as a 402.8 or 302.8. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that you can go for the 302.8. That's a, it's a possibility because I know people who do that. And I know people who then on top of that add a teleconverter like 1.2, 1.4 to increase the, uh, the reach. What then happens when you add these teleconverter is that everything then slows down. It's okay. Let's say like the um, the stop thing is a bit you know stupid because now we can like bump up the ISO into like you know one billion. Doesn't really matter anymore. But the autofocus speed goes down and the clarity of the picture also goes down as well. And also you know if you go to like two yeah two times teleconverter then. I think was a five point six, if one or two point eight. So the depth of field is also you know affected, and that's and that's really and that's the biggest one because you can while the autofocus is slower, you'll mostly be able to shoot around that slowness. There is nothing you can do with the depth of field, and that's that's it. the The depth of field that you get from a four hundred two point eight or the even longer than that. If I don't know, I know some people that shoot with. The 500 f4 and the 600 f4, the the depth of field on those pictures is better than anything you can get with a shorter lens and a teleconverter. That's a fact. There's no arguing around it. Like I said, the other limitations, Ryu was talking about the high ISO, yeah. The new bodies can go higher. And the autofocus, if you are good enough and if you can anticipate most of the time, you will be able to shoot around that. But there's no bargaining with depth of field. And honestly, the unless you're shooting static sports, so basically like sports that maybe just gonna go on your on your frame, left to right or up and down. I mean, you do need a focus that's accurate and fast. And if you're shooting anything like American football or soccer or basketball or anything, I mean, you do need a body, and especially a lens that focuses very, 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 very fast. I think it'll be stupid if we don't come up with a bit of a solution to this because these lenses are very, 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 very expensive. One solution is to buy the version that is one before. So maybe if you're not going to spend ten thousand, you'll be spending five thousand, maybe a bit more. Six, is it the VR two? I'll start right now. So I need to check, but you can you know check on KEH or. Uh, B&H or you can check on eBay and see if people know, are selling these lenses you might be able to save some money make sure like you know if you can get it from like uh, an actual shop they would they will have like a six months guarantee a warranty and that would you know mean a big deal if something goes wrong they'll you know take care of it there'll be a bit of risk obviously if you're gonna get it from eBay because you don't really know what happened before that but in some case it might be worth it because you know the, the price is a lot cheaper but you know it's really your risk but that's five thousand dollars, or five thousand euros, or five thousand pounds. That's a lot of money. So, the other option is that someone else buys you this really expensive lens. One solution that Matt said obviously is to you know join an agency, because um, if you join an agency or a newspaper or a magazine, they will provide you with the kit, the kit, the lens, and then apparently. According to him, even if you're freelancing for them, they will lend you the lens. Not not agencies. Newspapers and magazines will have okay. will have gear. The agencies won't, for the most part. Some do. For the baseball playoffs, one of the shooting positions is in center field, which is 300 feet or something, 300 and 
20 feet or something like that away. They'll put somebody out there with an 800 or something or a 600 with a teleconverter on it or something like that to just be like another set of eyes and maybe be able to get a head on picture of the batter or something if he's celebrating or I don't even know. But some agencies will have specialized gear because nobody's shooting sports with an 800. So they might have one of those to loan out. I know that you can, if you're in Nikon professional services, I don't know about Canon, but you can also uh, borrow lenses from them for the big events where you wouldn't necessarily have to have that gear to shoot your daily assignments, but you would if, if it was a big deal and you were too far away. In general, no. The, the bigger newspapers will have a gear room and magazines, but not agencies. So that's one way to do it. Another way I wrote about on the um, the Flickr group thing is that you could go for the cheaper version, which is a 302.8. Now, we are not, not, not going to buy another zoom lens, like the 12300 or those things, because at the end, you will be sorry that you've actually bought it because you would want to have a longer reach. So if it's not 302.8 you're going to end up with, you are going to sell that at some point. You'll get some, you know, get good money back because that these don't really depreciate that much after a while. But I don't know what's going to happen with like Sigma or, you know, Tokina or um, Tamron if you buy these lenses. And honestly, I've really not seen that many people who use these lenses either. And not, I'm not really slagging on the uh, third-party lens companies because they are very, very good. Like I use a couple of Sigma lenses and they're very, very good. But I'm not so sure about the longer ones. The shorter lenses, I think I'll be very, very happy using them. But the longer ones, I really, really, really don't. It's got a lot to do with like how the lens um, behaves with the body. And that's a very, very big, big thing as well. So the other thing you can do is like you can buy a shorter lens. So like you said, buy the 302.8. And I did that for like about two years. I used the 302.8. And it got to a point that I really, 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 really needed a longer lens for just for various re reasons. But I just wanted to get a longer reach. And I finally succumbed to the whole thing. And, and you know, I mortgaged everything and I got it. I didn't really do that. But it took me a, a lot of money to get that lens because it was a lot more expensive than the uh, 302.8. So the money part, what to do. So the only, re I, I mean, I wouldn't even bother buying the other lenses because it is one of those things, it's not even a stopgap because you will regret it. So if you're not going to buy a 302.8, if you're not going to buy a 402.8, then don't buy anything. I would stick with what you have right now and just keep on going. The longer you go, uh, you're going to get, I don't know, you're going to get a lot out of it and you can build your for portfolio with it. And once the time comes and you've got enough money, I will then make the switch. Until then, I just don't really see much of a point in making kind of like a really weird stopgap thing and hoping that that's going to be enough for the rest of your professional career, if there is going to be one. And I'm sorry to tell you, like we, we are very, very sorry to tell you this, but this is the reality of sports photography as a professional. At the end of the day, I honestly think that if you keep this a hobby, it will be a lot more fun pursuit. But if you really want to become professional, you have to make a lot of sacrifices and most of it will be a financial one. And it's funny because I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people, like basically every time I go out to shoot something that isn't, I don't know, like more people will get credentialed to shoot college than pros. More people will shoot high school than college. I run into people at rodeos all the time who don't shoot top level college and pro stuff. And everybody wants to know, oh, well, you know, can I do it with this? Or how much did that cost? Or whatever. I think everybody thinks that there is like some secret 
path or like a shortcut or something like that where you don't have to spend a ton of money to be able to do this at a high level. People look at me sometimes like I'm trying to keep them out or discourage them from shooting or pursuing it or something like that. And nothing could be further from the truth. I think that the amount of time that we spend on this podcast and the blog would be pretty good proof in the opposite direction of that. But they they just, oh, wait, I have to spend how much to carry around $30,000 worth of gear just to go to a game or something like that. Yeah, that's what people do. And like I said before, they wouldn't do it if they didn't have to. So nobody's trying to discourage you from pursuing your dreams and working towards becoming a professional photographer. But you have to accept that pro shoot with pro gear. And you need to shoot with the gear that's appropriate to whatever event that you're shooting at the time, whether it's a long lens for a field sport or a wide angle lens for extreme sports where you can get really close. That's life. And nobody's trying to con you into spending all that money. It's just how it is. It really isn't, you know, like I spend, how much did I spend? Ah, and the other, I just thought of like other ways. Like if you don't live in the United States of America, like I don't live there. It's the cheapest I find is to buy it in America. It's the cheapest by far. You don't want to buy it in England. You don't want to buy it in Japan. You don't want to buy it in Germany. Of course not. So I don't know this, but I know through people that people will buy. It's like, for instance, you're going to buy it at B&H, have it sent to your country. And if your country doesn't really do customs very, very well, like Japan, for instance, you pay little or no tax whatsoever, and you can get a gear much cheaper than you'll pay in your own country. Saying that, I think they've actually kind of closed that gap a little bit. Um, it's a bit more expensive than it used to be, but it's still a viable option to do. On the other hand, you can also go to America, buy these things and bring it back to your own country. But make sure if you're gonna do something like that, that you don't bring any receipts or anything that shows you bought this, because if they catch you at the um, customs, um, they will make you pay uh, the tax that is, uh, you know, going to be on. Well, there's also, I know that you can't buy out of country Nikon stuff and get it serviced by official Nikon repair. So you need to check with your local country's Nikon to find out what the rules of all of that are there. I have heard that they vary from place to place, but I know that it's called gray market, so you can't buy a lens that was destined for Europe, and they do this by serial numbers. You can't buy it and then bring it here and then expect to send it into Nikon when some dust gets in it or it breaks or something like that. So you need to be really careful about that. Um, Ryu touched on it earlier that all of the larger internet camera places like Adorama and B&H have used departments, and my favorite is KEH. Dot com. I'll also put the link into the post for this podcast, but KEH has a lot of gear and they grade their stuff very conservatively. So if you buy something that's tagged as very good, that's going to be like new and their like new stuff is going to be basically right out of the box. And they, there are significant discounts for buying used if you can do that. I would not buy off of a message board. I would not buy off of eBay. You, even if it doesn't come with a warranty, you want a company who cares about their reputation to be at the other end of that transaction because if they don't have a warranty, they might be a little bit concerned about their reputation if you start going off on Twitter or something like that. 
you want somebody that you can get a hold of again, not somebody who has beat their gear up and is just looking for a sucker to buy it. So buy it from a from a store, not from a person. That's the um, the end of this masterclass. I mean, something we need, we we knew we were you know going to talk about at some point because a lot of people have now gotten to the point that they've gotten good enough that they really want to go next step, which is become professional, and that's a difficult thing to do, especially given the current economic climate agencies magazines newspapers they don't really have much money to hire people maybe freelancers like you know like stringers so meaning that you're going to be hired on a match-to-match basis not like you know you get a salary um at the end of the month like you only get money if you do work so basically a freelance but they will you will get into these games you won't otherwise be able to get into because you don't have the name uh, of the agency or the magazine or newspaper it's really up to you like it's not we're not going to discourage we're not going to encourage like if you want to become professional that's really up, it's your decision it is there's a lot of things that will be involved in becoming professional people who are graduating from university right now and not be able to find a job even compared to like i don't know compared to like when i was a university student it's kind of the same thing for a um, professional sports photographer it's very difficult to do it we do encourage in a way to like you know become better sports photographers but like not become professional or, you know or say as a manager like three that's three really up to you that ends our um, master class and uh, if you got any comments and things like that please go to um biglensfashioner.com or you can go to the Flickr group page you can go to flickr.com and look for big lens fashioner you'll be able to find it if you were listening to this on itunes thank apple and then rate us the higher we are rated the more popular we are and one day, one day, we might be featured as the top sports photography podcast. Not only is you win a monthly theme competition, it is your chance to bask yourself in sports photography limelight. Listeners pit their photos against one another for a chance to enter the kingdom of BLFS. And of course, win a t-shirt while you're at it. If you want to play along, pause this podcast now. Paused. Good. Now go to your Flickr group page and click on this month's You Win thread. Will you win? Find out now. Wonderful listeners, we have You Win, and this month we had Closer. Um, we wanted people to get really, really close to the subject, either by using a long lens, obviously, because you know you can get close by not really being close, or you can you know use a wide lens and get very, very close. Why is it that sometimes I just feel that people either A, they don't understand, or B, they understand but they don't do it? You know what I mean? I, I think there's a... Um, like, are we not explaining like, ourselves very, very well when we do no, this? I, no, I think, it's a, I think it's a bias that's built into people's brains that they, they anticipate people getting uncomfortable having a camera stuck in their face, so they subconsciously or consciously back off from it how i was taught is that you get all the way up there like i'm talking inches away and then you back up until it looks right these people i think are starting off too far away and then they're moving in even if you move in like 10 feet or something and you say oh yeah this will do this is this is closer than i was 10 feet ago and meanwhile there was probably 15 or 20 more feet that they could have taken and it would have been a lot better. Close means close. You know, minimum shooting distance of the lens that you're using or put on a different lens so that you can actually get closer. You know, I've said this a million times. Shooting, I really enjoy shooting with my 14 to 24. The minimum focusing distance for that is like six inches or nine inches or something like that. 
I actively am looking, even when I don't have it on my camera at the time, I'm looking for places where I can use that to get less than a foot away from what I'm shooting. You know, a, a 70 to 200 is going to have a three foot minimum distance and the longer lenses are going to have longer than that, but you need to find ways to get closer to what you're shooting. We want detail. We want to be able to see the stitching on the ball. We want to be able to see the tread on the tire. Close means close. That's it. I think it's one of those things we need to revisit again, you know, because we do, we kind of cycle through all these UN stuff most of the time. And I don't know, we need to, you know, look into it because, I mean, we had some this month. I think some of them were, I like it, but most of them are just not close enough, you know? And you really have to be very, very close. And, and I just don't think it's very, very good if you're not close. Without further ado, we will have to start with number three, Matt Cohen. Which one? I have Kevin Souza uh, up in smoke. Okay. So it's a soccer fan, scarf on, and he's being enveloped in smoke. This is close, but again, it's really not close enough. No. I don't know how the setup is there or whatever, but I know that at MLS games, the access is good. You can, you know, it's not, we're not talking NFL or MLB here. When you get credential to shoot an MLS game, you basically have the run of the place. Yeah, your lungs and whatever, but get in there. Get, you know, if, if you couldn't get close to this guy because he was in the front row and you were down on the field or something like that, then go up into the stands and be in in it, you know, in between rows with a wide-angle lens, show how much smoke there is and how <laughs> stick your camera in their face. Yeah, I don't know, like, maybe it might even be more dangerous to shoot a supporter than um, than uh, than actual athletes, huh, by the way, because they can get a bit more a bit violent these people because I've had... I've had instances that they would get, get really pissed off at you if you even take their picture. Yeah, it's not it's not like that yeah. in MLS. But saying that, it's not close enough. You know, it really, really isn't. So my number three, I'm trying to decide right now, goes to Andrew Carlin and his uh, football picture. Um, I think they're coming on to the field and ready for a game. I like the composition. I mean, you can get closer than this. <laughs> that, that's the thing. You know, you, like the, if uh, you're shooting with a fisheye, you need to be inches yeah, away. You have the, the minimum focus on a fisheye is shorter than all the other ones, I think, except for macro lenses or something. So, you know, I would have liked to have seen this right by his hand where his helmet is, you know, even a little bit lower maybe. But much closer than this. Like, it's nice that you got the clouds in the sky and a little bit of the goalpost or whatever, but none of that is adding to it as much as having these guys super big in the frame because you were a couple inches away. And the thing is, I'm looking at Andrew's, you know, set for this entire game, and you are really close to all these, you know, some of these people. But I don't understand. Just get in there. Like, get really close. Like, if you hit them, like... You know, just say you're sorry. Like if you're not, if they're not in the, in, if they're not playing, you know, if you hit them, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. That's it. Just walk away after you get a shot. That's it. Just say sorry and walk away. They won't even notice you're even there because they're probably really, really amped up at that point. So, I did, so I, either they really notice that they're there or they don't notice at all. They don't really care because they're really in the game. You know, so 
you have, just have to get closer. Just don't be afraid. If they, they can't beat you up. Like I said, the fans are much more dangerous than um, these players. So just, you know, just go close. So number two. For number two, I have Simon West. Uh, it's a rugby picture. I thought about this one. And it's, yeah, it's, so it's the ball in the middle of the frame. And then it, there are hands on either side of it. Again, this is this is enough. where right. This is where you want to be shooting with a, a much longer lens than whatever it is. What is it? Three hundred. Yeah, you want four here, and you want to be physically closer to it. This is a picture where you know I like the idea of it, and I like your eye that you would pick this, even though there weren't any faces in it, and there, it wasn't especially obvious what was going on. But you need the stitching in the ball for this picture to really pop at you. And that's your goal. The idea of it and the symmetry of it is it's nice. It's a nice picture, but you need to be striving to give it the details that make a picture like this memorable. And you need to be close enough to get the stitching. That's it. My goes to John, which is probably the highest he's ever actually reached on you. And so this is, you know, actually, I think it's a great deal. I think I'd be really scared at this point because that, is really really close and there's no glass between him and the thing and the stick is really gonna so i, w- I like to say you, can, you should get close but i don't think you can get closer than this because i i and i think it's quite dangerous now he's gotten close but is it a good picture i think it's okay i actually like the fact that the um you know the, the sticks are kind of flaring out on both sides. They kind of compose the whole thing. And it might be the best thing that um, that John has ever shot. So I really actually, you know, I, I gave him a lot of, you know, you know uh, prop for this one. It's a bit, like, I think you should probably, you know, Photoshop it because the colors are quite dull. Um, I don't know if you actually did it on purpose, but it's one of those things that you could probably change a bit because this is, you know, and from this angle and from this composition, like this is as much this is as best as you can do. Because I think if you get closer, you probably be in the way, like really in the way of these guys. And and if the stick really hits you, then you know you're gonna go to a hospital or something. Or if they check you in, if they check you, I mean, it'd be really bad. So that's my number two. I agree with he did get close enough for what he's shooting. It is difficult to shoot in these. Um, these practice arenas, I guess this is the Capitals practice arena. The light is bad and it, the color's bad and there's not enough of it. And the thing is, and, and I shoot, when I shoot hockey, my second body has a fisheye on it for pictures like this where they come right up to the edge. And pro hockey, there is glass and you're shooting through a hole in the glass. So unless the stick goes right through that hole, you're a lot safer than what we're talking about here. But it doesn't free you from actually having to carefully compose the picture yeah there might not have been anything you could do here because that stick is definitely over the boards and i don't know you maybe had to bail out of it then it comes down to editing do you want a picture where the lines aren't lined up and the boards in front of you are thicker on one side than they are on the other side like those are the kind of things that you have to work on this picture this moment would have been better if you had been square to the boards and had the, the bend of the board be equal on both sides. Like, I'm not saying that you are going to be able to do that every time. And you might not even be able to do that on purpose. It might just happen, but then it's an editing thing. Like, when you're looking through your pictures, which one has the symmetry that you're looking for for a picture like this? This one doesn't have it, so that didn't make mine. You're number one. Uh, number one is Bashar. Really? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. 
Tell us why. So this is, you know, when we were talking about the, I guess it was last month when it was hot, this shows that way more than the one that Bashar had submitted for that competition, but it's also a better picture than that, and so it works because he's also very close. Being able to see the detail in his face, obviously tired, obviously hot, not aware of the camera at all, and then the careful composition of this like the he's absolutely square with the top and the right side of it and that's when you're making a detailed picture those things really matter i really like this picture i think that this is one of those examples where we always talk about where it's not all about what's on the field and it's not all about having a 400 you don't need that to make a picture like this you need to get much closer than other people were getting and he did, and this is my number one. I did consider it, and I didn't really find it that interesting to me. So I think I did. I I took it out because I think I don't know. I, I like Bashar's pictures, and now I've, I've said this before. Like I'm really expecting a lot out of him this year and next year and the year after. So do you have a three-year plan for Bashar? About three years. I think that's as much as I can take of Bashar. I think after that he's okay. uh, he's on his own. You know. This is, uh, you know, this is probably the rookie of the year, huh? This year. Um, it's Mihal Borman from Russia, and he's at the UFC one. He's good. I mean, you have to, like, if you haven't seen his work, like, you really should have a look, because I think he's very, very good. This picture, you have to see it, and you have to really think, like, what actually went on. Um, I like the fact that it's, you know, the water is everywhere. And he didn't catch it in, a, like, at the moment that maybe he's drinking the water, or maybe... I don't know, he's uh, just kind of like having the water like all, you know, fall in his, all over his face. It's when he was shaking it like a dog, you know? So you have all the, you know, water going everywhere. I didn't really think about the fact that it was going to be like the whole, you know, the summer thing, like Matt said. But to me, like he was close enough for this because I think he probably used a zoom lens for this one, right? Yeah, for that one. Could it have been closer? And that's the point that I wanted to kind of make with this one and that is yes honestly all of these we had this um this time around all the pictures some were good some bad some okay i think they're not close <laughs> enough none of them to the point that saying like wow like you really really got in there you know what can i say i mean you you have to get a lot closer like you have to get to a point that you're drenched with water or they're about to hit you because they're coming so close that they like, hit you like in a way like you're they're not hitting you but like you're gonna get hit because they're coming so close anything that you're gonna be that close to the subject in a way i would actually pick not pick any of them because the criteria was to be close and it seems that to me these are none of them are really that close except for the one that is from john i want this to be number one because he was closest out of all of us and not the best picture i think but given what we were asking people to do, this was the closest one that I thought had the best competition and best everything. What do you think? No. Because I can't give it to Bashar either with this. Like, it's just, I like the picture. Like, I mean, I don't like it as much as you do, but I just don't think it's close enough. You know what I mean? Because this is a crop, right? On top of that. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, no, John's picture is not, it's not good enough to be first. It's, yeah, he, he was close, but the picture still matters. So if the difference is closer but worse picture versus a little bit further away versus better picture, the better picture has to win. That's yeah, we can't yeah, encourage. Yeah. No, no, we can't encourage. You know, 
I'm not like I'm not saying like effort means everything. You know what I mean? But it just feels like it's not close enough. You know what I mean? Because if like I don't know what kind of a crop that is from Bashar. Like maybe it's a really big picture. He just cropped it out. I mean, it can't be that big because you can't no, get that no, much detail. Yeah. It's actually crop. Right, exactly. You know? That's yeah. that's exactly it. If this is a crop, it's only a crop for aesthetics. It's not a crop to get him in close. That's he had to be close to get that kind of detail. There's no no two ways about it. Yeah, could he have used a wide angle lens and gotten a lot closer? And would it have been better? Yeah, very maybe, but. He's close enough. Mm, okay. And how about Michael's picture? Do you have one? Um, I don't mind it. I don't like the light of it, and it's what? underexposed. Oh, for, come on. You know, for my taste, I guess maybe this ring was really tall or something like that. But there are just going to be pictures that you can't get if the camera is up to your face. You're going to have to learn to trust your gear, and you're going to have to learn how to use it well enough that you can extend it away from your face to get pictures that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to get. And I would have liked for him to have gotten further in so that A, the guy would have been closer and B, the rope of the ring wouldn't have been so prominent in there. Uh, A a little bit of water, a little bit of water is not going to hurt your gear. You'll wipe it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if, if I can't make that number one, I cannot make Bashar's number one either. Because I would, then I would be happy to have two number twos and that would be it. Because I honestly think that I, I really need people to be a bit more aggressive in their going in. Like if you do another one yeah, next I, time, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm fine okay, with that. Fine. Yeah. So who should we give it to the third one? Should we give it to John, saying that he did a, did a good job? Or should we just like say two number twos and that's it? We don't have even a third one. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, guys. Sorry, John. It's so close. It's so far. I did push for it. Just keep keep at it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, you're definitely on a path that has you going away from the earlier stuff and towards stuff that we want to see from you. But it is going to take more work and it is going to take being more careful and picking your spots and being a better editor. Yeah, and I think he's also chosen a sport that's very difficult to shoot anyway to start with, you know? Yeah. It's really, really, yeah. really difficult to shoot ice hockey. I mean, probably probably the, the most difficult one huh? with all the, the team sports, you know? I mean, it's, it's difficult to shoot. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty difficult. It is. It's fast and it's, you know, lights are crappy and no access and it's really the stupid plexiglass thing and like, yeah, it's just a disaster, you know, all over the place. Put your head down, but don't put it far, too far down and um, put it back up and... And we are going to, we are going to come back to this and... <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. We we'll definitely have to do You guys it. are going to have to get it that you start out too close and move back. Don't start out far away and move yeah. in. Don't be afraid. And if you hit somebody and they get really angry, so just Matt Corn sent you, you'll, you know, Matt, Matt will take the punishment. I will. So, um, yeah, that is for you, Win. And- if you came here looking for info on Training Ground, you are out of luck. Kind of, but not quite. We have moved it to YouTube, and therefore you get to see your rewards and punishments on video. Go to YouTube.com and search for Big Lens Fast Shutter. Four separate words. Right. And if you want to participate in you win next time, go to Flickr.com and search for a group Big Lens Fast Shutter. Find the latest you win topic, follow the directions, post your picture, and pray to God. Next month, it's free for all. One other thing before we kind of wrap up, we have a service called Critical Beatdown. And what it is is that you submit a portfolio to us. So maximum 15 photos. We recommend that we ask you give us 15. And we will do a video breakdown 
critique of your photo. So it'll probably last about one hour. It's $100. People who have used our service have been very, very happy with it. What you can do is you can then allow us to put that video up so other people can see it. Or if you don't want to, you can just keep it for yourself and you can have a look at it. You'll be the only person who have access to the video. And with that, we end the 42nd episode of Big Lens Flash Shutter. Can't do this without you, my beautiful listeners, and obviously Rob with two Bs who was supposed to participate, and you win, but he didn't. Even if you're not as evil as Matt Cohen, please go to our Facebook page and like us. Better yet, do that and subscribe to our blog at BigLensFastShutter.com so that you won't miss any of our latest and greatest hits. And if you love us even more, please rate this podcast on iTunes, and obviously if you have that doll in your pocket, please donate to us. To recap, go to Facebook, like our thing, blog, like us there, follow, iTunes, rate us, and donate. Rinse, repeat, love us more. See you next month.